When writer Mac Barnett was a kid, he was afraid of sleep. I remember I would be in bed with my eyes open in that weird sort of halfway between <laughs> awake and asleep mindset, just looking at things around my room, imagining them coming to life and feeling just a little unsettled about the whole thing and what was going on. He'd ask his parents about it, like, what's up with this whole sleep thing? And every question I asked, like, what is sleep? What are dreams? What's happening? Nobody could give me a good answer for it, and we still don't have great answers for it. It's one of those things that science and experiments, though important, don't fully comprehend yet and may never actually be able to fully explain the emotional experience of what going to sleep is. It's a time that we need art, that we need stories, that we need poetry to really comprehend. There was one book, however, that helped him as a kid, not to understand sleep exactly, but to feel okay about it. A book that acknowledged just how weird going to sleep really is. I think Goodnight Moon captures that both in text and in image. I'm Lindsay Jacobson, and this is Remember Reading from HarperCollins, a podcast where we talk about classic children's books. And on today's show, we're going to be talking about one of the most popular kids' books of all time, Goodnight Moon, written by Margaret Wise Brown. Mac Barnett and illustrator Sarah Jacoby recently published a picture book biography about Margaret Wise Brown and her life. They're both super fans. She often, in my mind, I see her in a state of running. And also, you know, she died so young, so she was racing time a lot without knowing it, I think. So it seemed natural to me eventually to put her running on the cover. And illustrator Lauren Long is also a fan. He's known for the Otis series, which he wrote and illustrated, as well as his work on President Barack Obama's book, Of the I Sing. Recently, he illustrated a previously unpublished manuscript of Margaret's called Good Day, Good Night. He says he loves picture books because they create lifelong emotional connections. When I think of those books, I have this incredible security and, and really just straight up love. But first, let's get back to Mac and how he remembers reading Good Night Moon as a child. I remember that book almost more as a place than a book because it all takes place in the great green room. Those illustrations, those colors, they're so vivid. Like if I go back to memories of reading Goodnight Moon, they feel like they're memories of sitting in the great green room. The first page of the book reads, in the great green room, there was a telephone and a red balloon. Opposite the text is a bright colored picture of a bunny tucked into bed in a room with green walls. The telephone sits on a nightstand nearby. A red balloon floats by the window. There's a fire in the fireplace, slippers under the bed, two rugs, one woven, another made of tiger skin. I love there's a tiger skin rug on the floor. Like. That, that is such a great weird detail, right? Like, these are rabbits. How did they kill a tiger? What happened? The bunny seems to look around the great big room full of random objects and inhabitants. There are pictures of a cow jumping over the moon and three little bears sitting in chairs. There are kittens and mittens, a comb and a brush and a bowl full of mush. The rabbit starts to say goodnight to all of them. One of our producers read the book for us. Good Night Room 
Good night, moon. Good night, cow jumping over the moon. Good night, light and the red balloon. Good night, bears. Good night, chairs. Good night, kittens, and good night, mittens. Good night, clocks, and good night, socks. Good night, little house, and good night, mouse. Good night, comb, and good night, brush. I think Good Night Moon is about going to sleep, and it is a book that acknowledges the full range of that experience. The pleasantness of it, the almost hallucinatory aspects of it. It's the best book about what it feels like to go to sleep. The soft rhythm of the sentences is lulling, but Max says the book also gets that going to sleep can be quite unsettling, like it was for him. It's a time when we are drifting in between two worlds. It's just next to death. And it's something that I thought about a lot as a kid. I think adults get uncomfortable when kids are thinking about death. Good Night Moon is a book that acknowledges, I think, how strange and, and maybe even a little scary bedtime can be, but ends up being very comforting, reassuring. It says, I know that these thoughts are in your head, but we're going to get through this together. Good Night Nobody. Good Night Mush. And good night to the old lady whispering, hush. Good night, stars. Good night, air. Good night, noises everywhere. It's that taxonomy of a room, some of which are things that are familiar, some of which are things that are really weird, and then it, it leaves the room. And yeah, good night, nothing, or good night, air, good night, mush. <laughs> like, she's after some big things there. That is a an incredible picture book moment that acknowledges the void right there. It acknowledges nothingness. You not only look at the chasm, you jump into it, and then everything's okay at the end. It's an amazing book. Goodnight Moon was published in 1947. The children's librarian at the New York Public Library, Ann Carol Moore, didn't like the book. She was a tastemaker, so when she didn't acquire it for her library's collection, that meant that libraries across the country wouldn't buy it either. Initially, it didn't sell very many copies. But by the 1960s, sales started going up, and up, and up. Today, the book has sold more than 11 million copies. Max says that by now we're so used to Goodnight Moon being around that it can be easy to forget how revolutionary it is. Because Goodnight Moon is so popular and because it's a gift at every baby shower, it's a part of so many kids' libraries, I think we forget how strange that book was and how strange it is right now. Before Goodnight Moon, kids' books were mostly fairy tales and fables, you know, books that took place in made-up worlds and tried to teach kids lessons. Margaret Wise Brown started to question that approach when she was working at the Bureau of Educational Experiments in New York City. It was a school and a lab that was trying to make kids' education better in order to make the world better. When she was talking to kids, telling them stories, and actually having conversations with them, listening to them, listening to the stories they told that they made up or the things that they wanted to convey about their own lives, that she figured out, oh, wow, like, I need to write books for these people, and these people have a different experience of the world than I do as an adult woman. Perhaps she was very good at listening to the children. Or perhaps she was very good at tapping into her own younger self. 
biographers have written that she could act childish. And Goodnight Moon might actually be somewhat autobiographical. As a child, Margaret herself would say goodnight to everything around her, just like the rabbit in her book, because it comforted her to do so. Either way, her mentor at the school, Lucy Sprague Mitchell, asked Margaret to write some books for children. Lucy was interested in something she called Here and Now. Here and Now meant focusing on the world familiar to kids, rather than creating some sort of fantasy. And the idea was to engage the familiar world in a way that a kid might. Margaret did that with repetition, the perfect cadence, the mix of joy and strangeness. She changed the conception of what a children's book could be. Goodnight Moon tapped into a child's bedtime brain, taking delight in both the mundane and the profound that swirl there. She applied all of her poetic talents to making books and stories and songs for kids. And that respect for kids, that conviction that kids deserve real art and that their art needed to reflect their daily lives, their psychology, their experience of the world, and not an adult's ideas about what childhood should be. Those are radical ideas. Max says that Goodnight Moon was probably one of the first picture books he ever heard. And it lodged itself within his psyche. He thinks it was probably, somewhere in his subconscious, one of the first things that eventually drew him to writing books himself. It's like the onions in the primordial soup, right? It's like the first thing you add. You're just sort of like sauteing. It's whatever you use to make the roux first before you start even making the soup. That's what Goodnight Moon is. Maybe that's why Mac keeps coming back to Margaret Wise Brown. She had come up multiple times in conversations with his agent, and eventually his agent was just like, why don't you write a picture book biography about her? And at first, he wasn't into it. There's a tendency to want to explain a piece of art through the author's biography to say, this thing happened to her, and look, on page 32 of this book, there's that same flower, or there's that same dog. And the connections between a life and an artwork are so complicated. There's sort of a a habit of psychobiography, like, let's explain what this author was thinking at this moment, and that will tell us why she wrote a book the way she did. That always feels reductive to me. When he came around to the idea, he knew he wanted to pay tribute, not just to Margaret, but to the kinds of books she wrote. The end result, called The Important Thing About Margaret Wise Brown, starts out, Margaret Wise Brown lived for 42 years. This book is 42 pages long. You can't fit somebody's life into 42 pages, so I'm just going to tell you some important things. Mac made this a very special piece of writing because it wasn't a linear history of someone. That's Sarah Jacoby. She illustrated the book. It was more about the idea of this person and how their work exists in the world in a general, like, thought experiment about them. The book fills in some of the timeline and basic facts of Margaret's life, but more than that, It gives readers special moments, a hint of her essence. For example, early on, Mac and Sarah fill the pages with stories of Margaret Wise Brown's pets. She had a lot of rabbits. But at one point she did skin her, one of her pet rabbits, and 
wear it as a hat. <laughs> and given Margaret's later pensions for like fur and stuff, I could see this being just utterly Margaret as a young kid wanting to wear this fur. It's something that she did as a kid. It's something that some kids will be grossed out by and some kids will be really into. Kids are not a monolith. I, I know a lot of little kids who are obsessed with taxidermy and finding animal skulls in the ground when they go out on hikes. I think that it's important to write about kids as they actually are and not as adults want them to be. A little later in the book, in maybe the clearest ode to Margaret, Mac describes her writing. Here he is reading from The Important Thing about Margaret Wise Brown. Now it's true that Margaret Wise Brown wrote strange books. In her books, you would turn the page and the story would suddenly change. Sometimes a duck would appear for no reason. And the narrator would often stop telling the story and ask the reader a question. Now isn't that a strange thing to do? And then you turn the page and there's a duck. The duck is so adorable, but there's something just, like, slightly naughty about that duck, too. <laughs> Mag and Sarah wanted readers to feel the same joy reading about Margaret as they do reading Margaret's own books. Sarah says that when she first drew that duck, she thought her editor wouldn't like it, but the duck stayed. A friend of mine, her kid just read this book out loud to me, and as she was reading it, she read the sentence about the duck and looked up to me and said, Oh, wouldn't it be so funny if there was a duck on the next page? And then she turned it, and there was a duck. And I thought that was the best. And she thought that was the best, and she laughed really long. Sarah had really connected with Goodnight Moon. Like Mac, her memories of the book are impressionistic. So I recall the colors the most. And I also recall the moment of Goodnight Nobody, Goodnight Mush really clearly as well, which I think is wonderful the way it sort of worked into my memory like a language or a dream does. When she started researching more deeply, including visiting Margaret's house in Maine, she really connected with the woman behind it. She wanted to figure out how to make the book look and feel like Margaret. I loved chasing her down in the archives and seeing pictures of her, and seeing what she thought and how she thought. And it really informed the way the watercolor work occurs in the book. I tried to use a lot of like natural imagery as possible as a tribute to her. And I tried to put as many bunnies in the book. The bunnies are an ode to her childhood pets, of course, but also to love. She had a partner, a woman who went by the name of Michael Strange. Sarah says in letters, Margaret and Michael called each other rabbit and bun. Yeah, passion, love, rabbits, that's all there. <laughs> When Margaret herself appears on the page, she's often in motion. The entire book has Margaret running, and there's a reason for that. Margaret, when she was young, was a part of these hunting running clubs. So not necessarily horse riding, but she would just run through the woods chasing after game. And this was like one of her favorite things to do. And she was passionate and wild. Sarah says that applied to Margaret's work, too. She felt like the publisher wasn't being fair to her or she was getting messed around by like a business deal. She would write very fiery language back to the publisher. She really made no bones about her ideas, which is wonderful. It was really inspiring to see someone from the 1930s, a woman specifically, owning her work in that way. The more Sarah read about Margaret, the more she admired her. 
the closer she felt to her. When I was researching her, as I was looking at her journals and looked physically at her writing. And, you know, I'm not saying that I'm Margaret Wise Brown, but I do similar things. So I was so excited to see it. <laughs> like she has these journals where she'll like dash off a thought. And one that I can recall is an empty rocking chair rocking in the wind. And then there's just like an ellipsis and then the page is empty and then that's it. That's like all she writes and just leaves it there. And I do that too, which is really great. <laughs> For me, it was like, oh, wow. Yeah, I definitely understand how you make books. I didn't realize how in love I was with Margaret Wise Brown until I went to her archives because I think her story is very compelling. I think a lot of people can really find her to be enchanting, but... Just her circumstances in life in general. She was this queer woman growing up in the 1930s. She was surrounded by really interesting artists. She moved around a lot. She traveled a lot. And she seemed to be such a specific creature. In 1952, not long after Goodnight Moon was published, Margaret was in France and had a procedure in a hospital. While recovering, she kicked her leg into the air to show her caretakers just how well she was feeling. Unfortunately, the kick loosened a blood clot, which killed her. She was just 42 years old. She had published about 60 books over the course of her life. She left behind even more, both finished and unfinished. According to a New York Times article, one large collection of papers went to a library in Rhode Island. Another wound up in a cedar trunk at her sister's house in Vermont. Decades later, in 1990, writer and editor Amy Gary discovered that trunk. Since then, she's seen some of the manuscripts it contained to publication, one of them being Good Day, Good Night, which Amy put together from a couple of different papers in that trunk. Lauren Long illustrated it. I really felt like this one felt like it sat alongside Good Night Moon. It had the same sort of rhythm and pattern and comforting rhyme to me. And it really did feel like almost a companion book to Goodnight Moon. Whereas Goodnight Moon is about a bunny going to sleep, in Good Day, Good Night, a bunny greets a new day and after living it out, returns to bed and says good night. Here's Lauren Long reading from the book. Good morning, world. Hello, daylight. Good day, everyone. Goodbye, night. Good day, trees and birds in the skies. Good day, bees. Buzz out of your hive. Good day, kitty. There's milk in your cup. Stretch, little cat. Try to wake up. Good morning to you. Open your eyes, for every day is a new surprise. Lauren says he wanted to make his illustrations a kind of tribute to Goodnight Moon and took design elements from that book to insert into his own. If you look at the interior scenes, my uh, bedspread is the color of the drapery. The window frames are red, just like in Goodnight Moon. If you look on the end table of the little bedroom where the little bunny is, you can see the cow jumping over the moon in the bookends. Lauren doesn't remember reading Goodnight Moon as a child. He's in his 50s, and the book wasn't as popular in his childhood as it later became. But he read it to his two sons. They wanted it so much, and I wanted to read it, that we read it hundreds of times. 
it became an important part of his family's storytime routine. Children love familiarity. They love to be in on the joke. They love to be able to kind of know in that cadence in books like Good Night Moon and Good Day, Good Night, where they can finish the sentence for you. He says for him, reading the book to his kids brought back the same feelings of warmth and security that he'd gotten when his mom read to him. My first memories were in the afternoon, and I know that she read to my brothers and I in the evening as well. But my kind of coveted memories were just one-on-one -on -one with mom when I was probably four years old before I went to kindergarten. I just remember, I guess it was maybe a nap time or something, but I can remember the, almost remember the room and I can remember the rocking chair. The books that stick out to him from that time are The Pokey Little Puppy and The Little Engine That Could. Whenever those books come up, he returns to that rocking chair in his mind. It's about the institution of me and my mom and those moments that have stayed with me all my life. You're being read typically by someone that loves you. You know, that loves you more than anything in the world. It's this safe harbor and this warm feeling and it's all that warm, fuzzy stuff. Lauren says that's why he works on children's books and wanted to illustrate Good Day, Good Night specifically. He used to do illustrations for magazines, which were fun, but it's different illustrating a kid's book. It really means a lot to me that something I do may occupy that special space in somebody's childhood, like Pokey Little Puppy and the Little Engine That Could did for me. And it means a lot to think that a book that I'm working on now in my adult life could someday conjure up those warm feelings for another human being when they're older. Lauren has published two dozen books. Kids all over the world treasure his words and his images, but there was a moment where he worried that he may never make it as an artist. And he was just 14 years old. About that time, I just needed glasses. His mom took him to the optometrist for a screening. And I'll never forget, mom was in the waiting room and he comes out with my prescription and just says, hey, Mrs. Long, your son is nearsighted. He just needs these corrective lenses. We're all good. And we were basically walking out. And he said, oh, Mrs. Long, one other thing. Has anybody ever told you that your son is colorblind. And I can remember that moment because I kind of stiffened up. And he said, it's no big deal unless you're going to be an electrician. And he kind of chuckled. You know, you have to be able to get the wire colors, right? Then the optometrist said, you know, you can't be a dermatologist either because you have to have very sensitive color vision. And then he kind of chuckled again and said, we're an artist. And then we got in the car and I just started tears streaming down my face and mom looks over what is it Lauren and I said he said artist and um she gripped my knee tighter than she ever had and she white knuckled the steering wheel she gritted her teeth and she said Lauren your art is beautiful don't let anybody ever tell you you can't be an artist that moment of swift love, I think, kind of really saved me because it, it allowed me to keep going. Lauren learned workarounds. He studied color theory and figured out how to lay his palette out the same way every time and to label his paint accordingly. For years, his mom would help him match colors. 
Now his wife and sons help him with that. But all that is kind of technical. He says the warm feelings come not from the colors, no matter how perfectly matched, but from the act of reading with loved ones. Mac and Sarah talk about that too. Reading aloud to me was very special. My dad would read to me as a kid and when librarians would read to us for story time, that was always wonderful. There's a real communion when you read out loud. I think that's something that's cool about picture books is they're social. They're rarely just read by a kid. They're usually read to a kid. And so they're sort of experiences that the kids and adults share together. Their theatrical experiences, where the adults and kids work together to assemble a sort of performance. They're an art form that scoops in all other art forms. It's prose, it's poetry, it's visual arts, it's theater. Picture books are performed by adults for kids. They're sort of portable theater pieces. I think dance comes into it. The way that you hold a book, the movement of the body, the way that you can generate interest and suspense by the way you turn the page or incline your head when you're reading. The body is absolutely an instrument in a good picture book reading. Sarah recently became a mom herself. Now she's the one reading books to a little boy named Howie. When he first started paying attention to books, it really made me marvel at how humans are so innately drawn to the invention of books. I know that sounds a little bit obvious, but like I would put down a book in front of him and I would put down some other exciting tools like shakers and rattles and things, and he would reach for the book, which blows my mind. One of the books she's reading to him is Goodnight Moon. Special thanks to Mac Barnett, Sarah Jacoby, and Lauren Long for joining us. You can find out more about their books at rememberreading.com. And hey, if you guys loved this podcast, let us know on Twitter at ReadingPod. You can also head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review because we actually feature a new review every month in our newsletter, which if you're not signed up for that, it's super, super easy. Just head on over to rememberreading.com where you can sign up to get episodes, quotes, trivia, and giveaways delivered to your inbox every month. Remember Reading is produced by Irina Zhorov and Stephanie Marudis of Kuvenda Media. I'm Lindsay Jacobson. Until next time. <laughs>